Good evening, everybody. It's Jean Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations in our new drive time time slot, which I am really enjoying. I love getting here at the end of the day and the beginning of the evening, so I hope you will enjoy it with me. So tonight we have a slight change in the program from what we put out in our newsletter because we're not going to lead off with a conversation about gentrification, which we are definitely going to get to, believe me, but the person we had hoped could make it could not, and so we are switching subjects into another kind of controversial subject that has just popped up again. And I've got John Kerfel is on the phone with us from... Uh, the Holy Cross neighborhood, which is the neighborhood that is going to be most impacted by um, a, a possible, I, I don't know what the right word is now, John. Um, I don't know if it's still, the word is widening, but certainly um, work on the industrial canal that is meant to make it easier for uh, barges and, and ships to get through that canal but which um, uh, can definitely have uh, an impact in the neighborhood. And, and uh, from what I understand, you and some other folks in the neighborhood are taking a hard look at this. So um, give, me, give me a little bit of a, a framework for our conversation. And what exactly um, is it looking like the uh, core would like to do now with the canal, and I know this is not a new issue. You, you've been out there on this before, and and um, uh, as a result of previous community um, issues, it had to go back to the drawing board. And so, so here it comes back out of the drawing board. And and where are we? Hi, Jean. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you're uh, discussing this because it certainly is an important issue for us. Um, you know, uh, they worked for 22 months uh, on this uh, report, and uh, we it's just come out uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we haven't had a chance to see everything. But it's a big project. It's um, almost a billion dollars, um, and that's just for building the new lock and uh, replacing the bridge. Think they wanted to take the St. Claude Bridge and replace it with something else, and. Um, and they'll be dynamiting out the old lock. Um, and I think it, uh, there'll be some, uh, well, we really need to look at the plan, but uh, with the last plan, and I expect with this plan, there'll be some changes for the neighborhood. It'll be, it's a long project, 13 years, maybe four or five of those years, a lot of heavy truck traffic and, and um, uh, longer waits. To get over the canal and dust and noise and that sort of thing, and the shaking of houses, pile driving, um, may be harder to sell your house when that's happening. If you if you need to transfer or move somewhere, so um, so we're looking at it, uh, but that's what we expect to see. So all right, um, l- let's uh, start at the beginning. Um, uh, this. Uh, canal was built when? Uh, beginning of the last century, basically, right? Yeah, it's almost 100 years old. In fact, uh, mm-hmm. the Lower Ninth Ward was separated by that canal about 100 years ago, uh, almost exactly with the tricentennial of the city. It's 100 years for Lower Nine, I think. Uh-huh. And so it's something that we need to celebrate. And uh, 
maybe it's time to fill in the canal, you know, and, and repatriate this part of the city. You know, I, I think it'd be a lot easier for us, you know. <laughs> hmm. All right. Um, so, uh, again, so so why was the canal built in the first place? I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. Why was the, um, why was the canal built in the first place? It was built from 1918 to 1923, and it was built by the core, the, uh, the, the, the group that came up after building the Panama Canal. And um, they uh, got right to work and uh, did a lot of innovative stuff. In fact, this lock is a real innovation in lock structure, and it was the biggest public works project in the United States and the biggest and, and earliest uh, continuous pour of reinforced concrete in the United States. It was really an impressive project. And the St. Claude Bridge also was very unique and tied in with the lock, very impressive. And, you know, the Corps has really kept these operating, and the, the port owns the bridge, and they've kept that operating. They've just done some fine work uh, restoring the deck, and the port has just put $10 million into changing out the gates and the lock, and, and it's probably never been better, you know. So, so wait, the, the port did work on – explain that to me. I'm sorry, come again. Well, what was the work that the port did? It's having trouble hearing me. Yeah, um, uh, it's a bad connection. Yeah, but, uh, sorry, sorry, John. Uh, we'll, we'll try to make it a little better. Okay. So, so again, I'm, I'm still trying to understand um, why it was built. So you understand that I, I got the idea that it was innovative, that it was a big project, but why? Gene, uh, I'm not hearing you. I'm sorry. Uh, ah, I'm not sure what the problem is. Okay. Go ahead. Can you hear me now? A little bit better. I always sound like a Verizon commercial. Can you hear me now? Okay, John, tell me what your uh, chief concerns are about the plans now being discussed. Um, I was trying to hear from you why they built it in the first place, uh, you know, for what purpose, and, and, and why now they feel they need to fix it and change it. Gina, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Um... Um, can you, uh, uh, John, can you call back? <laughs> it's, um, yeah. Okay. I'm, we're I'm gonna, a little hard we're of gonna, hearing anyway, but, uh. Okay. We're going to, we're going to disconnect and we're going to call you back. Okay. All right. Okay. okay. So let's see what we can do to fix this up. In the meantime, let me get Carol Leak, our next guest into the studio and, um, uh, we can uh, see, hopefully we'll get John back, because this is a big project. It was in the first place. Um, uh, I'm, I'm presuming that the answer to my own question was that they built this to facilitate um, uh, travel between Lake Pontchartrain and the river and also, I guess, the Industrial Canal. Um, and and uh, I, I get the impression from looking at the, um, some of the information that I saw on the website that um, underlying uh, problem is the length of time it takes to get through the uh, canal. So um, uh, if efficiency, speed, trying to make it easier for navigation sounds like it's um, one of the purposes. So, John, how's that? Can you hear me better now? I can. 
Oh, excellent. Okay. So I actually just answered the question that I had asked you before because I was asking why did they build the canal in the first place and what is the reasoning behind the work that they are now talking about doing. And I don't know whether the right word is widening or if it is um, some other word, but I, we're certainly talking about some major changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they, they built it originally to um, move uh, traffic off of the river towards the lake and to develop. The port owned all the land on the inner harbor there and uh, was part of a big uh, project to expand the the harbor. And that led, of course, to the Mr. Go being this 70-mile channel through the coming off the Industrial Canal through the marsh. And... Um, this, this project is still, this is the project that was supposed to complete the Mr. Go. It was supposed to be a deep draft lock there so ships could move in and out of the inner harbor. But, but now after all the flooding and everything from Katrina and the levee failure, um, they, they opt for a shallow, shallow draft lock. And the reason uh, is they want to be able to uh, put more barge tows in at one time, like the, the toes coming down the river full of natural gas and oil and other chemicals and petroleum products, they're getting longer and almost a quarter mile long, some of them, and, and they're getting wide, maybe four or five barges wide, and they come and they turn in this dizzy section of the river, and it's a little dangerous, uh, but, you know, they want to get these into the um, – into the lock without having to um, put them in in little packages, you know, and wait and then put in some more. And uh, they still can't go very far through the uh, Gulf Intercoastal Waterway system with those big toes, but but it does take some time. And uh, the, I think with the, the bigger lock for them will mean that the bridges go up less often for us but they'll stay up maybe 40% longer. So there'll be big waits for, for the people waiting for these uh, all these barges to come into the lock. I wonder if this, and I'll probably um, arrange to have the uh, Corps come on at a, uh, another show sometime and, and hear what they have to say, but um, is this a competitive issue? Is this an issue that has to do with, alternative transportation routes where uh, maybe they've been built more recently and um, these larger um, accumulations of barges can move through them more easily. Is, is that what we're dealing with? Or are, are we dealing with, you know, making sure that this canal is competitive? And, and again, uh, mention uh, why um, it was built in the first place. Are we, are we connecting the river and the lake or the river and the um, – Intercoastal canal or both? How does that work? Yeah, this is the the river and the Gulf Intercoastal Waterway. In fact, through the river, it connects with the Gulf, the uh, Intercoastal Waterway on the other side too. That goes all the way to Texas, to Brownsville, and and it goes uh, to Alabama, Florida, this way. And I think having one lock is is probably um, not the best thing. I think there should be another lock so that they have two of them, and when one breaks down, uh, this one's closed for four months, and uh, there's something always going to happen to a lock. It's, it's 
new or old anyway. So it's it's about water transportation, and there's a lot of uh, issues. There's sea level rise and subsidence, and there's the uh, deepening of the river and the Panama Canal. There's a, a big change in um, in water transportation, and we we probably need to consider this lock project in the light of all that, so that we all get educated about where we're going. You know. Right. So, so let me just understand. So, two things. What is in, initially not knowing all the details yet because this is so new. What is the community's chief concern? Um, and then, secondly, what what are you what are you all suggesting as an alternative? I hear you saying a, a whole different lock somewhere else, but I'm imagining that unless um, the new and I hate to use the word president. Um, who's coming in actually uh, lives up to the promise of, you know, uh, some kinds of um, um, initiatives that will uh, build infrastructure and create jobs and so on. Unless, unless that really happens, um, it's hard to imagine them starting on a whole new lock, which just the study to uh, determine what that would look like, where it would be, how it would work, and so on seems like, might just take about forever, um, not to mention how long it's going to take to actually um, rebuild this one to meet uh, contemporary navigation needs. So, so what are you guys most worried about, and, and what, um, uh, what is your suggestion? Uh, if, if, if another lock isn't a solution, is there any other um, question regarding the way they're planning to build this that can be addressed? Well, when they came to us uh, two years ago, they said they were going to look at different sites and see what could be done. Well, they didn't do that. You know, they just, from orders uh, from Washington or whatever it was, they just did the one. And uh, just looked at this old um, Mr. Go site. And I think um, the impacts on the neighborhood uh, and, and on the whole community that they haven't really considered in their cost-benefit analysis. Um, there's a mitigation plan, which is to give pennies on the dollar for things that could happen, risk that could happen to the neighborhood. And um, we don't really think that this is um, a, a really uh, just kind of way to do it. But it's the way it was written into the law in the old days back in 1991 and 1989. Uh, and we've seen since then that there are great impacts on the neighborhoods. And uh, they want to avoid hurting the environment somewhere. But they already have other places where it's uh, they are doing work and building projects. And we think that they should consider those, too, you know. And they could also, you know, well, go ahead. No, no, that's okay. Uh, go, you finish your statement. I guess my next question was would simply be, okay, so um, I see where you're going, but uh, what specifically in the way of the impact, aside from the construction process, are you most worried about? Well, uh, property values and just the stress of living around all that that project, you know, and the, the permanent loss of our historic assets that are important to the neighborhood and the city. Um, 
it, it's hard be hard to get to work and to school, and uh, it's uh, I, I think it's unnecessary to do a project like that and not look at the impact that the real things that need to be compensated. You know, if the project can only be built because you only consider the the engineering that needs to be done, and you don't consider the other impacts and the real cost of the project is a lot more, but it comes out of the environment, you know. Uh, it comes out of the, the people that live there. It comes out of their lives and their values. And that's what needs to be considered. And so far in this study, I don't see any of that, you know. I, I see. Now, I know you have a meeting to go to shortly, so I, I don't want to hold you up and, and I don't, I don't want to see you speeding down the streets to get to your <laughs> to get to your meeting. Thank you, Jean. And, and I know you're going to learn a lot more about um, what is really uh, in, implied in their plan. And I, I guess one of the things you're probably worrying about is are they going to do what they say they're going to do, or is it going to morph and evolve into um, other things? And it, it sounds like the construction period is one of the things you're most concerned about, but um, the long-term impact on the quality of life in the area obviously is is an yeah. issue as well. So we'll we'll keep we're going to stay on this and we'll be talking to the core too and 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 get a little bit of uh, um, their thoughts and impact on this and and um, you you keep us informed and and let's keep this um, uh, the question and the debate about how this work is going to go forward and and whether it's needed and what the alternatives are. Let, let's keep this discussion going. Thank Great you, John. Thank you. Thank you I appreciate so much. very much. I know you jumped yeah. into the into the uh, fray at the last minute um, when uh, my other guest uh, wasn't able to make it. So I, I look oh, forward always to always a pleasure. Thank you. Look forward to talking to you more about it. Take care. Yeah. All Bye. right. Um, yeah. So I mean, this was a, this was a huge issue not too many years ago, and 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 it has come back. Um, the uh, core was required to do some further um, environmental impact assessment is what it's called, and, and uh, now this is kind of where they came out of that. And um, I don't know enough about it myself yet, so I, I need to learn more. But, you know, as I say, we'll definitely uh, hear from the community and from the Corps as we go forward and, and make sure that we really, you know, uh, unearth all of the uh, underlying issues. Well, speaking of unearthing, how's <laughs> that for a transition? Um, I have a, a woman who I've known for a long time, but... I always thought of her essentially as an artist. Come to find out with an email that I just got recently um, that uh, she's something of an organizer too, which is uh, something that uh, I, I was completely unaware of. And I think what really stimulated her at this moment was um, all of the um, activity around the inauguration and, and uh, the protests on the one hand and also just kind of you know, it's not so much that they're just protests. It's also people uh, uh, kind of sending out um, warning flares saying, you know, um, don't tread on us, uh, basically. we uh, Isn't that part of our, our original, one of our original... Um, uh, yeah, don't tread on me. Is it, is it an American? Yeah, let's, let's get this a little closer to you. Okay. And sure yeah, and I, I have a low voice. Um, yeah, I don't remember which state flag it was, but it was it was actually one of the originally proposed designs for the American flag. That That's what I thought. I think right, it was an, right. an incarnation of that. All yeah. right. So, um, so Carol Leak, who is speaking, who is a, uh, a an artist, a painter, a longtime educator, 
um, somehow uh, launched. Did you launch this or did you just jump I launched on? this, yeah. You launched this. Okay. I'm, I'm so curious to hear. You must feel so strongly about this that you would, you know, <laughs> uh, move away from the canvas and the paintbrushes and, and, and get engaged in pulling together something called the 2017 Jazz Funeral for Democracy, planned for January 21st, Thank Inauguration you. Day. It's like a day um, after inauguration. A day after, right. uh, yeah. exactly, along with the women's protest in, in Washington, the, um, uh, what is it called, the Million Women March, but it's yeah. really more like about yeah. 100,000 people. Yeah. But um, at 1 o'clock, Washington <clears throat> Square Park and Elysian Fields, and then it has a path, Royal Frenchman and Dauphine Streets. Um, okay, uh, this is an announcement uh, for the second Jazz Funeral for Democracy. The first was in January 20th, 2005, and gathered close to 1,000 Folks, we will be joining with the Women's March in New Orleans and the March for Revolution in New Orleans. Love Trump's hate. This is coming from the flyer on it. There yeah. will be a conveyance for a coffin carrying the Constitution, <laughs> and um, the group is going to turn on Canal Street or Poitras and carry the coffin to the moonwalk where, taking a page from the history of the crew of St. Anne, they will set the coffin adrift on the waters of the Mississippi. And maybe it'll be retrieved by somebody of some interesting descent. Um, and we <laughs> certainly have enough people of interesting descent around here. Ah, okay. <laughs> now, how Thank did you. this how did this come to be, Carol? Why? Tell me about your feelings about this. Why they were so strong? And and um, uh, did you work on the last jazz funeral also? I didn't work on it. I participated in it. And uh -huh. a friend of mine was participating, and she mentioned it, and I said we should. Well. At that point, we did wear um, skeleton masks and a couple of skeleton face paint and red sequin cowboy hats. That seemed appropriate in that year. <laughs> and, you know, joined the Jazz Funeral for Democracy 2005, which was pretty large. I think it was a neighborhood of a thousand people. What was the, what was the underlying uh, cause for that uh, march? It was the inauguration of George Bush's second term. Oh, uh, right, um, of course. Okay. Yeah. And All right. Well, we survived that term, and, <laughs> and then we had, um, you know, these uh, halcyon, so to speak, because it hasn't been exactly an easy eight years. But we did not. have uh, somebody who, with with intelligence and depth and balance and both cool and warmth, and and now we we don't have we don't know what we have. Well, we have this creature. But, um, and I mean, pretty much everybody I know has been in mourning about this. I do know a few people who support Trump and are all kinds of hopeful about it, and there they are. But um, I, I've been feeling awful about it. And I, you know, you've mentioned that I, I don't really have a big history as an organizer at all, but I have regularly done installations uh, in my front window, which used to be a store. And now I have one in my yard. And those are kind of public protest art and often have been in the window. Sometimes they're just vested, but they're often public protests. They were for the election. And it's about to change again. But first we have to have the march. But I was planning to join the Women's March, and then I just sort of thought, well, wouldn't it be nice to add this little twist to it? And in New Orleans, people have traditionally dressed up in various ways, and we do have the tradition of the jazz funeral and the second line. And while this is not precisely either of those, we are carrying the coffin to the Constitution, be a very little one, but it was good enough for Kizer Khan, it will be good enough for us. 
And mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, I don't know how big a group we are. I came to this a little bit late, which is one of the reasons I said, please register with the Women's March. Also, the Women's March plans, if they have any extra money, who knows? They're going to donate it to a worthy cause. And so that's all good. And, the, and also the, um, the March for Revolution is a little harder to find online, I found, but I mean, I've contributed to that as well. And they're somewhere so in between. Is the March for Revolution, is that Bernie Sanders' uh, folks? Or it may be. Uh-huh. I think there's some connection. There's uh-huh. another march that seems to be going on for three days uh, that is burying Lady Liberty. Uh, I'm afraid I don't remember the name of that one, but mm-hmm. that one's big and they have filmmakers. There are just like hundreds or maybe thousands of demonstrations yes. of one variety or another going on all over the country. Yes. And um, obviously a part of it, it comes out of the, the depression that a lot of people felt. I think the shock is, is, <laughs> is, is not uh, too big a word because uh, there were so many polls and so many predictions right. and, and it just didn't seem rational. But rationality doesn't necessarily have a darn thing to do with... It certainly has not been a factor in any of this. Yeah. Um, You know, I'm one of the people who um, speak uh, more empathetically, I think, towards Trump supporters because I I really do feel it's true that they've gotten um, recently that uh, there's a lot of people in this country, whether you're young and black or old and white, you're, you're, you're... really suffering the impact of, uh, and I talk about this on my mm-hmm. show all the time, a very, very profound change in the economy. And mm-hmm. and frankly, I don't think either party has done a great job of figuring out um, how we're going to transition forward and, and how we're not going to leave a lot of people basically lying under underpasses. That's very true, but a lot more could have been done about it if it had not been constantly blocked by the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. I'm planning to post something on my Facebook page about that very soon, but um, which is more detailed. It's not. It's not about the jazz funeral, but mm-hmm. it's it's about some of the reasons for the mourning. Um, it's an Noam Chomsky piece. It's quite succinct. Okay. Um, yeah. So there's there's a lot of mourning. There's a lot of shock. Um, there's a lot of fear. I think there's just plain cold fear. fear. There's fear on the part of people who take Trump at his word that he literally wants to send people packing out of the country. And um, I, I heard some interviews from some young uh, Mexican children who whose folks are um, not properly documented, who are literally afraid um, whether, whether they're going to be able to continue to live in the country, whether their families are going to get broken up. And then I also saw some really interesting interviews with people who were deported, mm-hmm. who are now working in Mexico, doing jobs that theoretically – we could be doing in this country. That was one of the more interesting twists that I hadn't really thought about. Um, But so, you know, we're going to do this jazz funeral. Obviously, it's going to be one of the more um, visually dramatic events. This uh, was the plan, that we would add a little visual richness and New Orleans flavor to the march. So so give me some details on the flavor. Well, we have a couple of members of the skeleton crew joining us who are well-known for Mardi Gras, you know, festivities. And... As I say, we have our our little float with the coffin, and we are – I I don't know how many people will follow my suggestions for mourners. I suggest that people wear black top hats and veils or something signifying that they were mourning with a slightly old-fashioned idea of mourning. People don't dress in black at funerals necessarily anymore. 
and that they should um, possibly wear skeleton face masks and or face paint or solid black or white masks, um, thinking along the lines of the Day of the Dead, which is very popular here. People, people parade the Day of the Dead just whenever. <laughs> slightly bothering. Not just around slightly Halloween. Slightly bothering. Yeah. I think, you know, it reduces the specialness of it. But anyway, I mean, if don't have any um, volunteers to be horses for the hearse who won't actually be pulling it, but that would be a good idea. And other possibilities, if people don't want to invest in clothes or hats or don't have time to, you could be a reviled journalist and just apply a few bruises. Um, possibly, you know, I'm in a sling or cast if you feel like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think Office Depot sells little, you know, convention badge things. You can just insert a press pass. and mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Or you could be a gagged scientist if you have access to a white lab coat. wouldn't have to have, but that's kind of a, a signifying um, costume element. And if you wish to be a person who is considered by some of the Trump supporters to be non-American, which would mean not Anglo-white, which I believe at this point is the majority of Americans. Um, Getting that that, that yep. you could also do. Uh, mm -hmm. I can see how people wouldn't want to do that, um, but if they do feel like doing that, that I think could be very effective. And I was suggesting that people might dress as pussies grabbed. I know a couple of people <laughs> who've done that. They did it for Halloween. They've done it. How does, how, how, does, how does that explain? How, so how does that look? <laughs> well, um, I'm suggesting that given the fact that in terms of Trump's history, he seems to have had a, a predilection for grabbing blondes. Most of the women who came forward after the um, Access Hollywood tape seemed you, to be and blonde. You, you actually, it's amazing. You, Never uh, happened well, before. Well, actually, <laughs> you'd think that maybe this would be a mitigating factor in his dislike for the media because I watch the, the talk shows a lot because uh, my husband and I are both a little bit addicted to this, this story and this news. And uh, I've never seen so darn many um, white women with long blonde hair. Right. <laughs> right? On television. So so if, if that's his type, you'd think that maybe that would, you know, ease the pain a little bit uh, that he seems to be experiencing with having a few tough questions thrown at him, but I don't know. Didn't seem anyway. to help Megyn Kelly. No, exactly. <laughs> and she finally yeah. resolved it in her own way. But right. anyway, I mean... Uh, Came I, out ahead. Friend, yeah, really. Um, but um, no, I had a friend uh, in New York who had dressed as the last pussy grabbed for Halloween. And, and he, a very tall, good-looking man, uh, he had a large hand on his crotch with a bloody, um, you know, chopped off wrist and carried a cleaver and dressed as a, as a cat. Um, <laughs> and it was right, a charming costume. It. I think but everybody got that You one. could dress as, you know, sort of a beauty queen and then have a random hand in the appropriate place. I think that would, I think the point would be clear. You don't need a cleaver. Um, <laughs> if, you ha if you carry a cleaver, please let it not be a real cleaver. Yeah. <laughs> no weaponry. Right. <laughs> uh, that would be a bad thing. But, you know, and that there might be... Um, you know, any 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 other group that occurs to people, they would like to. Um, one of the one of the things that I'm still working on, as I said, this was a slightly late-breaking idea. I'm still looking for musicians, and I thought I had that covered, and it turned out it kind of fell through. So, if any musicians feel like joining us, oh, you uh, need to call um, Chuck Perkins. 
Okay. Uh, because we, we he had a terrific group for our um, meeting of the downtown course that we had last week, which was, by the way, that event turned out to be such a kick. It's really it was a lot of fun. There's a Doug McCash did a nice big story on it yeah. in the right. in the Nola dot com. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, I can get you a number on them. They were fabulous. The, the the band that played with us. I don't have uh, the name of the gentleman who leads the group um, handy, and I'm a terrible names person, but I might think of it. Uh, anyway, that they might be able to help you out. Well, I'm pursuing a couple of lines, but I'm more a welcome. And yeah, I'll, one, I'll one of the things the I, have, on it. I think other people have thought of this. I've seen a couple of things online that indicate to me that people have had the same idea that I'm about to mention, which I would like um, whatever musicians we can gather at a couple of points to play the song that's played at the end of Dr. Strangelove, We'll Meet Again, Don't Know Where, don't know, right after mm. Slim Pickens goes down with the bomb. Um, mm. That, I think, would be highly appropriate. But, and, I mean, you know, trumpets and saxophones would do, do just the right job with that. Sure. So, I mean, I've, you know, I'm not looking for a huge number, and I would also say to anybody that if anything gets difficult, if you're a musician, grab your, your instrument and get out of there because your instrument is valuable. You right. don't want things to happen to it. The rest of us will fend for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so Carol, the one thing that I, I – I mean, I, who could resist a costumed parade as a form of protest? And, and it did recall for me, and I mentioned this in my newsletter – um, that first Halloween parade after Katrina that came down to Cater yes. Street, and for me, for one, and I'm sure this was true for most people along the route, that was such an important signal that we were going to be okay in the city of New Orleans, that we could still get out there on the street, laugh at ourselves, dress up in blue tarp, whatever, make fun <laughs> of the, the 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 governor and everybody else, the, the you know, Brownie and, and the oh. federal government and everybody who we felt was contributing to the mess. Um, uh, so I, I, I don't I, – this is a great idea from that perspective. On the other hand, I have to, to, to say that I've been trying, despite, you know, my depression, everybody has it, um, and, and fear and concern and say, you know, just what – uh, kind of a president is this man going to be? And and the transition has been absolutely there's no, there's not too many signs of hope in the transition. The transition has been more of the same. And and what he did the other day with John Lewis was just so ignorant. Well, it said it all. So it? pathetically mm-hmm. misguided. In in, in 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 but but also so revealing of his fundamental personality. Yet I keep trying to look for, okay, what are we going to do that is going to counteract what he's doing? And so a funeral mm-hmm. to me is like, okay, that's, a, that's an ending. You know, that, that's saying, okay, it's over. Our democracy is over. Whereas I want to say, okay, no, we uh, more of a call to action is 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 what I feel the need for, and and one of the things I just want to say this because I've been thinking about this lately. An important call to action, and I hope it's not too late for this, and I don't know at all how the process and timing works because I've had to have my own in health insurance for so long because I'm an independent contractor and, and or work with a nonprofit that doesn't have health insurance. So um, – I don't know what the signing up options are with with the Affordable Care 
act. Um, uh, but to me, one of the key things that younger, healthy people could do right, is to sign up. Is to sign up. Right. That to me is is, is as a as a as a, a call to action. Is something you can do that is positive and supports the health care initiatives that uh, we we struggle to accomplish so much work went into that and again the the, the incredible lack of an understanding of, of how things work to say I want you know I want this to be repealed and and uh, replaced immediately it just doesn't so work that way it's a campaign of misinformation against it too and, and you know, and he should know better because he's a developer. Development pro- projects take years to put together. Whether you're Trump or whoever you are, they take years to put together. So saying, oh, I just want to, you know, repeal it and and replace it immediately. Sure, okay, right. <laughs> so um, how do you feel? I mean, you know, how do we reconcile this notion of a funeral and the end of something with actually the need for? us to not give up and to call out for action and to go forward and, and figure out how we're going to, you know, for one thing, uh, address voting rights and, 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 right. uh, and, and, and address um, uh, an engagement. I mean, I think there was a lack of engagement in that election. A lot of people didn't come out to vote who should have voted. There's a lot of reasons for what happened in this election, yeah, you know, other than uh, Russian interference, which was a biggie. <laughs> yeah, well, that was that was startling, um, but um, yeah, there was a lack of engagement. There has been a lack of engagement, and I think what you touched on earlier in your comments—that there is people just don't have—they're they're not hopeful. They feel left behind. They feel left out. Uh, I've known a number of African American people who feel as though there's no point in them voting. They don't have a you know they don't have a voice in this no matter what. It's you know you know I mean I, I was. Home Depot the other day, and I did something about this project, the Jazz Funeral Democracy, and the young man who was helping me said, well, when has there ever been democracy in America? Uh, well, you know, from certain points of view, there really hasn't. Uh, we have a document that provides a blueprint for it, and, you know, that it's always a good frame of reference. It's something, something to kind of hang our hats on and, and not let go. I mean... You notice we're not burning the Constitution. We're hoping it's going to be resurrected. You gave me a great idea for an Easter parade. The resurrection. (laughs) The resurrection. (laughs) It will be the resurrection. Um, But that's, you know, that's, I mean, parades are all very well, but we need a great deal more than that. Um, You know, to me, this sort of event is to lift people's spirits. I mean, my experience of people getting together in situations like this, it does. It lifts people's spirits. It makes them feel that if they get together, uh, then possibly things can happen. And it is happening to some extent in the country. It's happening more than it was. I think Bernie Sanders was a huge contributor to that. Mm-hmm. But, and and again, uh, without a doubt, when when you have a parade in New Orleans, even if it's, it's billed as a jazz funeral, even if we're you know, theoretically burying democracy, there's always an underlying sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, I, I, ho- I would hope that, that some of the images from this parade would make it on the national scene and would again show the spirit of New Orleans and how we um, deal with um, adversity and, and, and pick ourselves up and, and kind of have a laugh and then uh, go on from there. So um, 
You know, going on from there is what I want to talk about for just a couple of minutes with you, Carol, because, again, um, as I said at the beginning of the show, I think of you as an artist, and, and yeah. clearly there's artistry in it's this art. performance <laughs> event, of course. But, Street um, art, public art, you know. But, but you spend more time in a studio in front of a canvas than True. you do, um, you know, dressed up in in uh, in, in veils and, and um, uh, black top hats out in the street. So... Um, Take me just back for a second to what you're doing as an artist and and um, uh, how you see the, the coming years that you're going to be, um, you know, again, continuing to work as an artist. Thank you. I, I would like to go back to the idea of the funeral because okay. and the idea of the ending. We'll keep on it. Well, just, just you know, because I think this is significant and this is – it. I mean, a couple of people have said oh, on Facebook people will say anything – um, but um, it's been suggested, well, nothing died, and I would argue with that. Uh, it seems to me we have seen the death of civility in public discourse, um, in political discourse, and in you know, well, public slash private discourse, which is a very blurry line these days. And that I think is a terrible, it's a tragedy, and it has been a serious death, and it undermines the possibility of democracy uh, because. Democracy is about respecting the opinions of other people. It's about respecting the rights of other people. You lose civility, and that's endangered. And also, I think, the, the business of fake news, the, the death of anything, you know, truth is always a moving target to some extent, but the extent is extremely significant. And what has now happened, I mean, the emergence of just people, there was a guy on TV talking about the fact that he sits in his in his basement or something, um, making up fake news for Facebook, he just does this out of some nihilistic inclination, and he he was claiming to be cynical in some intellectual way. I wasn't really buying it. He just seemed like a kind of a lost soul. But that stuff it, that has consequences, and if people can't agree on you know, an approximate version of the truth. You know, democracy is in deep trouble. And I think so, that, you know, yeah, and they're I not mean, dead, but in serious, uh, critical condition, shall we say. I, I was going to say, I, I, even going back to you, to the opening comment you just made, the death of civility, without a doubt, civility is under attack. Oh, yeah. Now, it's not just under attack from from um, no. Trump. No. It's been under attack now for, I don't know, you ca I kind of want to say maybe about a decade, the dominance of uh, kind of the real housewife um, uh, concept of, you know, uh, and actually even before that, Maury Povich's kind of shows where, mm -hmm. you know, you just have people sort of at each other in a, in a they're really performances. And, Jerry Springer. But, 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 yeah, all these characters... And there's a coarsening. People talk a lot about yeah, a coarsening yeah. of, of, of our lives. And, and then you have the Internet, which becomes a kind of like, um, I don't know, what would be the equivalent? Uh, 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 maybe when we were kids, we'd pass a note in class, mm -hmm. and it would make its way around the room, and it would be derogatory, and you wouldn't know where it came from. That's so the analogy. cover <laughs> of the Internet. You know, uh, which allows people to just say terrible, nasty things. In fact, I fell out with a, f a very good friend of mine since Katrina uh -huh. over a uh, an email 
that this person put out yeah. about my husband and I that was so completely off base it was ridiculous. If, if it was actually, I think they accused us of self-interest in a certain situation. And I said, man, I sure wish I really had a little bit more of a self-interest <laughs> instinct. I wouldn't be so damn, you know, not not uh, having the resources to be uh, enjoying life a little bit more. But um that that internet is if, if you have a complaint with me give me a call get on the phone come see me let's talk about it don't put out an email and the internet has allowed this kind of um moral cowardice moral cowardice i'm going to write that down yes i would, I would say that's a good way to depict it so yeah uh, and 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 he and he fits into that category this guy all right so but here's what i would say it's not the death of civility because no. I'm a big believer in the swings of history. Yes, indeed. The pendulum of, of swinging from one, and this is a hell of a pendulum swing we're going through <laughs> right now. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on the air, but um, this is this is a serious pendulum going from, you know, the, the um, in, incredible uh, balance and, and intelligence and grace and all yeah. those words that we've been hearing so much of lately. Isn't it interesting how everybody loves Obama suddenly when right. you know, he, they were giving him a pretty hard time just about a month ago. When there's a, now in the face of this change. Started in 09. But, but um, it, it's, 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 it's a, uh, um, a dark age kind of that we're entering. It looks that way. Perhaps. But we're going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes adversity sparks that energy that it takes. I, I always use the example of the, of the green dots after the storm and how it was when people were told they couldn't come back that they made darn sure that they got they back. Did, yeah. Right? And so maybe this is going to bring out, again, that engagement that we have lost. I've been talking too much. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Um, but, you know, with the Internet, it's exactly when I said public-private discourse. I mean, it, it, with the blurry lines, that's exactly what I meant, though. But, yes, I think that, the, I think that it was easy uh, for a lot of people in the Obama years to become complacent and think things are rolling along just fine. Um, you know, some things were rolling along quite well. Other things really, as, as we now see, needed more engagement. You know, needed everybody. No, you, you can't. I mean, one of the the good things that Bernie Sanders said, he said so many good things, but, and I, I was not exclusively a Bernie supporter, but, I mean, the emphasis that you cannot let everything happen from the top down, um, that that's really important, and democracy doesn't work if everything happens from the top down. That's going to undo yeah, that undermines it, it, democracy. It's also, to me, so much of... What we're going through is, again, I, I have this empathy for the folks who are out there who are suffering, who, you know, um, who, who's, who lost their homes, who, um, who, who don't have a job, whose kids can't go to college, all, all those terrible things that are happening mm-hmm. as part of this, this economic transformation that we're in. And, and yes, the, the move of jobs offshore, but also the automation of jobs and and our education system just not keeping up with it. And so there's a lot of people out there who really don't have the information that some of us have the luxury of right. having. You know, That's I often true. say I grew up in – I went to public schools in New York where 
good. awfully good education in yeah. the 40s and 50s way back then. Oh, my God. Did I say that on the air? <laughs> but um, so I, I always um, uh, I always kind of give a little latitude to folks who just didn't have that privilege. And um, the thing that is a real mystery to me is what can we do to help those who are so angry and feel so um, unempowered to help them understand how duped they are uh, they are as a result of buying the rhetoric of people who are not really on their side but who are using them and and Trump certainly is on the top of that pile he is but he has uh, a quite a stream of precedents. I mean, I would put Ronald Reagan in that category, too. You know, people, I know St. Reagan, but not in my book. Um, no, I mean, people who started undermining education, people who started undermining um, after-school programs, you know, just cutting all of that kind of thing. Those things made a big difference to people who were disadvantaged. Uh, I, and, in, I, anyway. and I fall in that category. After-school programs for me when I was growing up, I grew up in a very poor in, in the Bronx, and after-school programs, that was my life. But, the, I mean, the message, you know, I don't think government solves everything by any means, but the message that came heavily, not just from the Reagan administration, he certainly bought that idea, you know, his saying, oh, I'm the scariest thing you'll ever hear is I'm from the government and I'm here to help. That, that's scary to me. I mean, that, that's, that's despicable, really. I mean, to, that causes people to believe in, you know, to support people who do not have their interests, economic or any other kind of interests, you know, at heart. I mean, it, it, fosters, it fosters a sort of a false confidence in people. They feel like, you know, they're sort of rugged American individualists. They're supposed to pull themselves up by their flip-flops and, you know, march on. I, I mean, yeah, really, how? I mean, you're working three jobs. How are you going to do that? And it, it, they're, you know, they're just... So so let me come back to that the question that I posed to you uh, uh, before that you didn't want to take on at that time about Carol Leak, the artist. And so let's put it in a context of, okay, we do this parade, um, this jazz funeral. Hopefully it gets some news coverage. Hopefully a bunch of people come out and... And participate so that we make the statement that we'd like to see made out of New Orleans and, and maybe get some national coverage. And then what? Well, then, as you said, I do go back into the studio, and we'll be very glad to do so. And you know, I'm going to have several series of work going on, which is probably a good way never to finish anything. But um, what kind of work? Well, one of the series, um, since since we're having the Women's March in Washington and the Women's March. Um, here and there are a number of other women's marches. Uh, I have a series that I've been looking on for a few years now uh, called Women of a Certain Age. It's about it's portraits of women over the age of 40 um, because, I mean, 40, of course, now is the new 25. But uh, I'm not sure um, if, we're uh, if, if we're, yeah, there's something, okay, Maybe it must be just my uh, connection. Mm -hmm. I thought for a minute we were off the air because I couldn't hear anything. Go ahead. I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was just uh, I'm, I'm fiddling around with this wire and I shouldn't be. Anyway, but, you know, the message that, that women do get, that after a certain age, um, you really are not 
of interest. You're not, um, you're invisible. You become invisible. I can't tell you how many women have told me that. And, of course, that can be very empowering, but it's also kind of infuriating. And it is evidence of (laughs) the presence, alive and well, of a double standard for the sexes. Uh, I mean, uh, sexes are very different, but you know, we <laughs> we have a long way to go, and yeah, yeah. I mean that that invisibility harms a lot of women. It a lot of women put it to good use, but it does harm a great many other women. And you know, it's we have <laughs> a person is now about to become president who has reinforced that kind of you know the stereotypes that cause that to be true. And that is one of the reasons all the women are out marching. I mean, there are plenty of reasons. That's on the list. I think it's going to be really, really interesting, this whole women's movement, and and, and in a way that um, there's a lot of protests out there, but women have taken the lead. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that could very well come out of this is some kind of transformative um, thinking on the part of women and what their role can be. And that actually takes me back, and I, I, I don't know um, if you've lived here forever. It sounds like you... Pretty you, long t- I'm from here. Oh, you are? Yeah. All right, is. so you know about the women's... Um, the Broomstick Brigade. So the Broomstick Brigade was a, a group of women in the... Um, I think it was the late 50s, early 60s, who basically um, they wanted to sweep the bums out of City Hall, who, who, were, who were corrupt. And, and that was an enormous transformation for the city of New Orleans and, and brought in, I guess it was Chet Morrison, mm-hmm. and um, a, a reform era in the city. So I don't know, maybe this, again, maybe this, this um, adversity, and I think there's something in Chinese philosophy that talks about how adversity right. is, uh, is, is in a way the, um, the, the root of um, new energy and change, and, and it's in every philosophy. I mean, limitation is actually good for creativity. <coughs> I got to think about that. <laughs> it is. I'm not one who loves limits, <laughs> generally speaking. Well, I mean, they, they exist. They're going to be there, and yeah. you know, if, if responding to that is, is often a very good thing. Okay, so um, women of a certain age, and what else are you working on? Um, well, my my series also ongoing for a while, Nudes with Guns, which which sounds... News with guns? N- nudes with oh, guns. Oh, nudes. Yeah. Okay. It actually, it, it came from a slightly odd place. Um, the late Robin Pellegrin and I curated an exhibition, Women with Guns. It was at El Delgado right after Katrina. It was supposed to happen immediately after Katrina, but things got postponed, understandably. Um, but um, the Nudes with Guns came about after a gallery dealer in a southern city had said she'd asked if I had more landscapes that she might show because I've done a lot of landscapes. And And that, by the way, is mainly how I know your work is through your landscapes. I haven't actually been doing them for a while, but I'm I'm just about to to start one um, Hmm. in a couple of weeks. And and I'll be glad to go back there. I actually love doing them. They take a long time. I have to say, oh. academe um, kind of caused it to take too long. I was, that wasn't the only reason I did other things. I had other other things I wanted to do, mm-hmm. but um, but that was a factor. No, but this I I said, well, I don't have any landscapes right now because things are sold or things are in progress and they take a long time. 
And I said, I have a lot of nudes in watercolor. And she just, without missing a beat, said, oh, I can't sell nudes in the Bible Belt. And <laughs> it struck me that, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's very true. We live in a country that thinks that the sight of a naked body is more dangerous than a loaded gun. Mm. And hence the nudes with guns. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a weird juxtaposition. It may not, if you look on, online, you see pornography with uh, nudes with guns is rather startling. But um, it, it was not what I had in mind at all. But actually, it's a ridiculous juxtaposition. So yeah. is, is this a, a working towards a show of yeah, that work? Yeah. And, and wh where and when is that going to be? I don't know. Um, that's yet to it's be determined. Yet to be determined. Well, they've, they've been in a couple of shows already. And mm -hmm. they, you know, there was a group of them in uh, one of the satellite. So, so Carol, it, it sounds like your work is 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 also uh, right now uh, definitely engaging you in your social uh, discourse. Uh, it also, is. It, it's it it's is. not just um, uh, I don't want to say just, but it, it, it's it, the work is know, delivering a mean. message. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 not entirely being done in an ivory tower. Uh, Carol, you have a website. You know what? I don't. That's in progress. Okay, Facebook? <laughs> I do have Facebook, yeah. Okay, so Carol Leak, L-E-A-K-E. -E. Yeah. People can check you out. They can. I don't have any work posted, though, except um, the series that connects to the jazz funeral, which is the Danse Macabre series. Okay, now let's, we're going to close out because we're about to uh, be out of time, but I want to reiterate that the 2017 Jazz Funeral for Democracy takes place on the 21st, the day after the inaugural, starting at 1 p.m. in Washington Square Park. Yes. And if you do want to get some more information, you can call 899-8877. That's an I easy would, enough. I would recommend the 782 number. Okay, mm -hmm. second number, 504-782-7517. Uh, or, the, or the Gmail address. <laughs> or the Gmail address. Carol Leak, L-E-A-K-E, at gmail.com. This is the 2017 Jazz Funeral for Democracy. Thank you for doing this. I hope we get uh, some national coverage and, and once again uh, tell people around the country how, how we deliver a message here in New Orleans. Exactly. All thank right. you, Thanks for coming, and thank My you pleasure. all for listening. And now uh, we'll talk with you next week on the other side. <laughs>